This is the Truth of the Matters podcast, and welcome back to another edition of Bible Study, solo or with friends. I'm your host, Jonathan, and for those who are unfamiliar with this segment, let me give you a quick background to the story of how this segment got started. It was inspired by a Bible study that I had with two friends of mine once a week. Basically, we would choose a book in the Bible to unpack together choose two or three chapters, read them individually, and see what we can unpack by ourselves. Then we will come together and fellowship with one another and learn about what we believe God was revealing to us individually. And that will open up the door to learn from one another. Remember, scripture says anytime two or three are gathered, there am I in your midst. What I concluded from these talks is I would still be full of knowledge and insight and be curious about a lot of things that we discuss. Therefore, I thought it would be a great idea to create this segment, Bible Study Solo, or with friends. And I would bring a friend on that I've had conversations with about God's word, and me and them will dig deeper. Sometimes I will have to dig deeper by myself. However, with that being said, I want to welcome on a familiar voice, one you should be familiar with by now, and that's my brother Dane. What's up, man? How you doing? I'm doing good. I'm glad I was able to stronghold and strong arm you into allowing me on this segment as well. You know, as the younger brother, I have to showcase my aggressiveness and my dominance to make sure Jonathan cannot have anything by himself. That's not right, Dane. Now, for those who are tuning in for the very first time daniel is the original base segment me and him unpack god's word and these segments that we included whether it's guests or whether it's bible study reflection solo with friends kind of gives daniel a little break you know you know with all no, the work that he has to do. but i didn't need a break today mm-hmm. i forced my way in. all right well <laughs> before we take a look at our verse today First and foremost, we believe in prayer. So everyone, bow your heads, close your eyes, and join us in prayer today. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, what a glorious day being in your presence yet again. We thank you for personal interaction. We thank you for your personal access to you at all times. Of course, before we get into your word today, we know it is wise to have a conversation with you first to invite you to join us. Therefore, Lord, we ask that you speak through us. Use us as instruments for your glory. Bless us and allow us to leave change, whether that means for us to be more focused on you, forgiving of others, loving of others, caring about others, Lord, you know best. So, Lord, we pray that you have your way with us. No matter where we are on this globe, We believe you have reach, and therefore we trust you. We trust your divine plan. Lord, we say these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, the verse for today is going to be 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. We're going to look at this in the NLT. Daniel? Examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. If not, you have failed the tests of genuine faith. All right. So before we can unpack this verse, I want to speak about the need for hermeneutics. 
which is a format that helps you read and interpret things. For those who aren't aware, there is a hermeneutics for all types of different texts that you read in history and for many other things. For the Bible, I've learned that there are eight core principle laws that help you interpret scripture correctly. And I want to share those with you today. If you haven't checked out the first episode, the more extended version is there. But I'll share these with you for now so that you get a you know, a clear understanding of what principles and standard I'm using to impact the scriptures. So the first is worldview. The purpose is number two. The audience is number three. Context is number four. Supported text is number five. Language is six. Prejudice is seven. And grammar is number eight. When it comes to reading, it's important that you view the scriptures through these lens. I'll give you another example. For those who've been following along, you know that I'm studying for the LSAT. And with the LSAT, there is a form of hermeneutics that helps me read difficult texts, specifically the reading comprehension section. I follow a format called view stamp. The V stands for the views. There's different views that are being articulated through the text. The S stands for structure. How is the passage structured in what order and what's in what place? The T is for the tone. What's the tone of the passage? The A is the author's perspective. And the MP is the main point. Why was the passage written? That's an example of the usage of hermeneutics in a reading comprehension passage for the LSAT. Today, we'll be using biblical hermeneutics. And we're going to be focusing on context, supported text, and purpose. Why were certain passages written? Who was it written to? What's the purpose of it being shared with us? To get a proper and deeper understanding of this view of scripture, we need to read verses that precede it and that come after it. So often we look at one single verse and we can unpack it, but it's valuable to see what were the verses leading up to it and what are the verses that come after it. So with that being said, we're going to look at verses 1 through 4 thoroughly, and we're going to look at verse 6 thoroughly, and then we'll come full circle and unpack verse 5. So, Daniel, let's look at verses 1 first. This is the third time I am coming to visit you. And as the scripture says, the facts of every case must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. This being the third time that Paul has decided to come to the church of Corinth tells you that Paul is invested in the church of Corinth. It also tells us that Paul is quoting an Old Testament verse, which is, which is what we should look at to understand it. So let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 19. We're going to go to a lot of scriptures today. So if you're listening, I would suggest you take out a pen and paper because we're going in deep today. So let's go to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15. And this is what it says, Daniel. A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. 
Let's also mention Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 6, for a specific reason that we will address soon enough. Let's go there as well. Daniel. On the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses, the one who is to die shall be put to death. A person shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness. So the reason why I had Daniel read those verses from Deuteronomy is because the testimony of one when it comes to humanity to people isn't enough to have them believe. Why do you think I've referenced the power of agreement earlier when I said anytime two or three for the sake of my name gather, there am I in your midst? Because it's hard to deny the existence of God when you have two or three witnesses present. Now keep this in mind. God is one. However, scripture says this in 1 John chapter 5, verse 7. And we're going to look at this in the New King James Version. Dan. For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. What makes God amazing is he works within his own laws. And there are no contradictions. If you believe there are, guess what? You have ran into something called paradox, which is something I've shared on numerous occasions and I share again. A paradox is extremely absurd or self-contradictory statement or proposition that when investigated or explained may prove to be well-founded or true. Let me take you to a passage that's very important as it relates to the law and what happens. Let's go to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14. And we're going to be verses 53 to 61 in the NLT. They took Jesus to the highest priest's home, where the leading priests, the elders, and the teachers of religious law had gathered. Meanwhile, Peter followed him at a distance and went right into the high priest's courtyard. There he sat with the guards, warming himself by the fire. Inside, the leading priests and the entire high council were trying to find evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death. But they couldn't find any. Many false witnesses spoke against him, but they contradicted each other. Finally, some men stood up and gave this false testimony. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days I will build another made without human hands. But even then, they didn't get their story straight. Then the high priest stood up before the others and asked Jesus, Well, aren't you going to, to answer these charges? What do you have to say for yourself? But Jesus was silent and made no reply. Daniel, why do you think Jesus was silent? Because the evidence spoke for itself. Mm. Yeah, he was silent because they couldn't convict him with no alignment of collaborating testimonies. Therefore, why speak and say anything, right? You know, silence is loud. <laughs> yeah, especially <laughs> in the that loudest. Moment. That's the most boldest statement he could have made. Yep. And what's amazing about it is what Jesus did is he understood their dilemma. And they thought by speaking to him and asking him, he would trip up. But Jesus, being wise and cutting and decisive, decided to say anything. And, you know, you don't have to say anything, right? 
against it in in a situation like this, because when we look at our law system now, this case will be dismissed. It will be thrown out for lack of evidence. This goes to show you that this is evidence that Jesus was murdered unjustly. And of course, as a free man. Now, let's go to verse two of Second Corinthians chapter 13. I have already warned those who had been sinning when I was there on my second visit. Now, I again warn them and all others, just as I did before. The next time, I will not spare them. So Paul is simply warning the people about their sin. In fact, in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, he says, For the wages of sin is death. That means in simple terms, the result or consequences of evil doing will lead you to your death. Actually, Jesus hints at this when it comes to potential consequence for those who are curious. Is in the Gospel of John, chapter 5, verses 1 to 15. For the sake of time, we won't read it. As a matter of fact, let's let's do it anyway, because, again, we're focusing on context and context matters. Before we move in, Daniel, what you see, which is Arabic, is called the Fezda. I want to make sure you know it. it's the Fezda. All right. So oh, Bethesda, the Fezda, Fezda. Bethesda. No. So don't even <laughs> pronounce Bethesda. Just say the Fezda. Thus Fezda. No, 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 no. Fezda, the Fezda, Fezda, the Fezda. Yeah, that's fine. So for those who are following this, the <laughs> I keep thinking of the video game yeah, company. Yeah. <laughs> so just, I, I don't pronunciate it because it doesn't pronunciate the way that it's spelled. So I just think the Fezda. That's all I say. It says Bethesda, but I say the Fezda. That's how I look at it. You so, know, yeah. why don't you read it then? Yeah, sure. Why not? You know, we can swap out for today. Yeah, sure. Gospel of John, chapter 5, verses 1 to 15. Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there is Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called the Festa, which is surrounded by five covered colonies. Here, a great number of disabled people were used to lie. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. That's why I'm trying to get in. Someone else goes down ahead of me. And Jesus said to him, Get up. Pick up your mat and walk. At once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The Lord forgives you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said, Pick up my mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick up? and walk the man who was healed had no idea who it was but jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there later jesus found him at the temple and said to him see you're well now stop sinning or something worse may happen to you 
The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who made him well. So let's pinpoint why I brought up this passage. I brought up this passage because of verse 14, which says, Later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. You see the connection here? The connection is, is that Jesus warned him he was healed. And since he was healed, it's best that you should stop practicing sin. Because if you're going to practice sin, eventually the wages of sin leads to death. We don't know exactly how a person can die, but what we do know is that the practicing of sin is something God does not want us to make a habit of. He understands that we stumble every now and then, but we shouldn't practice it. Practicing it means that the idea of repentance in one aspect is forgiveness, but another key component of repentance is to turn away. Now, obviously, it takes time to turn away, right? The things I don't want to do, the things I keep doing, and the things I do want to do, the things I don't do, right? We know that from Romans. But again, eventually, if you're reading scripture, if you're praying, some of those bad habits start to dwindle down because you're making God the center focus of your life. And therefore, it's easier to then allow Christ to replace those bad habits. So that's the point that I wanted to bring up. So let's go to verse three and four. We're going to put them together. And again, for those who are following along, this is first Corinthians chapter 13. And we're taking a look at the first four verses. But right now we're looking at verse three and four. Daniel. I will give you all the proof you want that Christ speaks through me. Christ is not weak when he deals with you. He is powerful among you. Although he was crucified in weakness, he now lives by the power of God. We, too, are weak, just as Christ was. But when we deal with you, we will be alive with him and will have God's power. Yeah, so the proof that Jesus is among you and I is the love we have for one another. That love happens to be expressed in many ways. Harsh love can be seen as harsh when it happens publicly, but a public rebuke can be done for a reason of correction and to set an example. That's the positive outlook on it. Other times, be gentle. An example of potential harsh love happened in the book of Galatians chapter 2 when Paul opposed Peter to his face because he stood condemned. An example of gentle love is also found in Galatians when Paul warns us, but also gives us instruction. For the sake of context, let's look at verses 1 and 2 in the NIV, chapter 6, Galatians, verses 1 and 2. Daniel? Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. So when you think about what happened to Jesus, right? He was humiliated and therefore decided to do nothing and not fight back. On the surface, he was looked at as weak. It's because Jesus sacrificed himself once and for all, never having to do it again. After three days, the father raised him 
from the dead, and Jesus defeated death. His name now is above all names. He is lifted up and exalted. We know in scripture, Jesus is seated on the right hand of the Father. And in Hebrews, we understand that he is our priest forever and ever. He is our king and he is our God. Therefore, once we are baptized and born again, that symbolizes the death and resurrection of Christ. We too are just like Christ, right? If we go to Romans chapter 6, we look at verses 5 through 11 in the English Standard Version. This is where we find that piece of evidence of support. Daniel. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin. Once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Man, what a beautiful scripture, man. Sometimes it just the scriptures just tell the whole narrative tells the whole story sometimes i sit back and i'm like man there's no need for me to elaborate because the scriptures are so thoroughly explaining everything that needs to be said it's like man why even take it any further than that sometimes so let's look at verse six and then finally we will take a look at verse five and unpack it daniel as you test yourselves i hope you will recognize that we have not failed the test of I'll pop the lick of authority. There you which go. Which is like basically apostleship. What Paul is saying is after you have done the work of evaluating yourself, he believes you will see that himself, John, Peter, and James are legit and deserve the title apostle. Right? With the instructions that they have provided us as believers, he believes that the same spirit that's in him will justify the same spirit that's in us and then we will come to agreement because we all recognize what the truth is that's what's being stated there so let's go back to verse 5 now since we have unpacked the context surrounding that verse and let's see what we can discuss here daniel examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine test yourselves surely you know that jesus christ is among you if not you have failed the test of genuine faith. So how does one examine themselves to see if their faith is genuine? I believe it starts with the mind. How you think will determine how you approach life. The quality of your thinking can determine the quality of your life. As believers, we go to his word so that he can guide us, and help us, and lead us down a path of flourishing and success. There's a reason why he tells us in the passage of Romans chapter 12, verse 2. What, Daniel? Let us not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Yeah, so it's important that if you are going to be walking in faith, 
we need to be seeking his counsel. And that counsel is, his, is the word of God, the government of God. You know, one of my favorite verses in Proverbs happens to be chapter 23, verse 7. Let's take a look at that in the New King James Version. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. The reason why I love this verse is because when it comes to a man or a woman, it's all about what the heart reflects. It's not about what they say most times. The truth of the matter is, what is said can be very deceiving. An example that I can think of is what a person says verbally. So I don't know. Here's a perfect example. Man, you're so annoying. Therefore, I hate you. But guess what? Inwardly and emotionally, the truth is that person very much may love every part of you. Even though they're saying you're annoying. Can you think of an example, Daniel, of when someone says something verbally, but they don't actually mean it and they mean they actually think something else of you? For an example, I was talking about how I bullied my way onto this podcast earlier. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I was just glad that she asked me to come on. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Perfect mm-hmm. example. If we go to Proverbs chapter 4, we look at verses 20 to 23 in the NLT. This is what it says. My child, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart, for they bring life to those who find them and heal into their whole body. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. The reason why it's important to guard your heart because there are a lot of deceiving and persuasive ideologies that exist that can have you reject God because it comes off good and meaningful. On the surface, Paul warns us in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, that we should see and we should take note that no one should take captivating philosophy and empty deceit according to human traditions, according to elementary spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. I'll say it again. See it that no one takes you captive by philosophical or philosophy and empty deceit according to human traditions, according to the elementary spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. You know, in, in the Gospel of John 14, 1, it says, Jesus said, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Therefore, if we're going to have genuine faith, our belief and trust has to be in Jesus Christ, nothing else. In the Gospel of John, chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. If we're going to have genuine faith, no matter what is going on around us, we have to see that Jesus is the only peace we need to have and to rely upon. As long as we are in this world, there's going to be challenges. If you examine yourselves, the questions you have to ask yourself is, are you embracing the tests and trials of life? 
Are you keeping the faith through it all that you're dealing with and that others are dealing with that surround you? Are you encouraging and motivating them? Are you picking yourself back up again and again when times get rough? Is your faith a conviction or a preference? Every day, you have to be ready to stay on guard for what's going to happen against you. You have to be mindful that the acts of the flesh are going to motivate you to do things you shouldn't do. And therefore, you have to combat it with the fruits of the Spirit. Let's end with this passage of Scripture, Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 through 9 in the NIV. Daniel? Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice! Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, Put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Very good. So we did a thorough unpacking of 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, along with the verses of 1 through 4 that preceded in verse 6. So let's finish up with prayer. In this segment, we don't do devotions. We finish with prayer. Oh God, in the name of Jesus, thank you for joining us today, Lord. We appreciate you making an appearance and being among us today as we talked about the importance of examining whether we have genuine faith in you or not. Lord, I couldn't help but mention where the battle starts, and that's in the mind. Lord, you told us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, to demolish arguments and every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of you that we should take captive every thought to make it obedient to you therefore lord i pray that we gain control over what we think about and what we and how we think about ourselves and that relationship that we have with you that correlation that foundation that we have in you needs to be priority for those things we say and confidence with short and therefore Lord I pray over your children and I pray over the listeners 
who are God's children, who are God's children. I pray over them, Lord. I pray over their minds and their thoughts. And we say these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.